Hello, mamas. Welcome to the nest. So excited. You guys got in here early today. I think we decided it's the sun that makes us want to get out of the house. So we're so excited you're here today. If you've never been here, The Nest is just a place where moms gather, um, and it's an acronym that stands for Nurture, Encourage, Strengthen, and Train. And so that's our goal here, is that we can train the next generation of children to follow Christ. And so that's what we talk about, and that's what our mission and our goal is, is um, and, and all the different topics that we go over. So welcome. If you've never been here, we got awesome food. We do not slack on food, because it is a love language. They will not write about it, but I'm fighting for it. Okay, so um, I'm going to go through the, the announcements real quick. So the first one is, we ha- if you're new, we have a monthly email that goes out. So you're like guaranteed a spot, kind of, if you're like reading your email on time and the small miracle that that is. So if you want that email that says, hey, registration's open, click here. You need to um, sign up at whatever's behind me. Go there. And you'll get an e-news and just check the nest and make sure you check Plano so you get it for the events here. Um, The next announcement is, my clicky girl, um, next month, guys, we have two more meetings and we are done this year, which is mind-blowing to me in so many ways. And But um, next month, we are having um, Randy Weidman speak on the gift of trust. Our whole theme this year has been the gift of, um, and she is a sweet friend of mine and has walked that road, so I can't wait for her to be here for next month. So make sure you sign up for that. Um, hands and feet. Okay, what's hands and feet? I would love to tell you. Um, it is just a way that we can get our little buddies to serve um, and show them what it's like to love others like Christ did. So, because we've kind of had to switch our calendar a little bit. We're meeting a little bit later in the months, these last spring dates. But the first one is March, okay? So this is kind of like serving um, your police department, like saying thank you. And so all the details on that are here. This is out there if you did not get one. The back is, this is super fun, I love this. This kind of started a couple years ago. You know how when you go at Halloween, people are like, what is it? You've been booed. Have y'all been, have y'all been booed before? It's not frightening. It's just candy, so it's awesome. So it's something that started a couple years ago, I feel like, at Halloween. And so this is kind of taking that theme um, and saying you've been egged. And you know the plastic... Um, you know, the resurrection eggs, there's like 12, and it tells the story of Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. Um, you take those 12 eggs and you hide them in your friend's lawn secretly, like you're on a mission. You put this sign on their door, ring, doorbell, and they get to go find them all. So really fun. Um, the more specific directions are on the back. So know that the hands and feet handout has information for March and April, okay? Super fun. I'd love for y'all to egg people. <laughs> It's so fun to say stuff like that. Okay. Um, Dad, you. Y'all, we're serious about dads here. We want them to know what you know. And so um, encourage your husband to come to Dad, you. They are like the nest. Um, They meet same room here at Plano, but they do morning time and they don't bring the kids. So I don't know. I don't know what's better. Um, 6.30 to 8, stage 4, tell your husband to, and if you want to sign him up, you can do that. Um, And he can meet other guys and be encouraged on his journey as well as a father. Um, Okay, y'all, we have awesome mentor moms. I don't know if you know this. Thank you. They have a fan club. And so... 
to really get part of that fan club is like we have these sheets on your, um, and we're about to change them up a little bit. It says James 15, 6. If y'all were looking for that, that's not true. We just really want to see if you're going to look that verse up. James only has five <laughs> chapters. I love me some Debbie Von Wagner. She's going to correct that, right? Where is she? She's probably hiding. Oh, yeah. Um, but it doesn't matter. We all know the verse is right there. Write like your prayer requests. These women are serious about praying. So guys, I did this about a couple months ago. I've done it twice. I'm like, will y'all pray for me? And then I get a text from one of our mentor moms in the middle of the day just saying, hey, just, hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you. Gave me a strict scripture. I just felt so loved. So we just can't get enough prayer. So please take advantage of this. You can put your name. If you don't have one of these fancy cards, just take, we, we take this and um, meet one of the mentor moms up here and leave these on your table and we will gather them at the end. Um, I think that's all I really want to tell you all about announcements. I just don't think I have any more, but I am so stoked about today and what we're about to do. So um, every year we get together um, the year before and talk about, hey, what's, what are we going to talk about for the next year? What are some things that are relevant that you guys want to know about? Um, and one of those things was, I'm so excited about this fall. I was so excited about the gift of wisdom. Um, now, wisdom is like this huge like spectrum, like where can we go with wisdom? You can go everywhere with wisdom. But I was definitely sure on who I wanted to speak on wisdom. And that was my good friend, Meg McKinley over there. And she also has a fan club. Um, and so Meg is our women's director here at the Plano campus, guys. And so what that means, if you're not um, someone who goes here, is that she's just basically heads up all of the equipping. And when I say equipping, I mean Bible studies, um, extra classes for you just to go deeper with the Lord. She is phenomenal. I also got to go with, to Africa with her last year and had fun with her and just know her on a personal level. Her, she, she has wisdom and she has wisdom um, in so many different ways that this, this was an easy, easy, like, duh, it's Meg. So I'm going to pray for her. She's going to come up, exp, uh, introduce herself a little bit more and her family. And we're going to do some different things today. We're going to have a couple different exercises and um, that you guys are going to do. So I'm really excited about getting our time started. So I'm going to go ahead and pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the fact that the sun is shining and our kids can play outside at the parks today. Um, and just thank you for how that makes our hearts feel and how when the winter's gone, the sun comes up. Um, I pray for Meg. I just pray for all the things we're going to talk about today. And I just pray that we can um, sit and ponder all these things so that we can be more effective um, as moms. It's in your sons. Let me pray. Amen. Thank you. There's all my junk. Good morning, you guys. I am so excited to be here, and I am thrilled to be talking about the gift of wisdom, um, specifically busting the myth of balance is what we're going to talk about. The reason I'm super excited is because I have struggled with the whole idea of balance my entire adult life. So while I loved Leslie's introduction, I hate to disappoint you, I am not teaching because I have all the wisdom on this subject. I've certainly learned what doesn't work, and there is wisdom in that. And so I am excited to be here with you to just kind of share and remind all of us, myself included, because I still struggle with this, what is true and good and best as we try to navigate so many demands in an increasingly connected and complex um, demanding world. And so there is a picture of my family on the screen, so you get to see who 
joins me in my struggles with the concept of balance. So Tom and I have been married for 29 years, and I met him when I was 17, and then we married when I was 21. And a couple years later, um, kids came along, so our son, Law, is 26. That's short for Lawrence with the T on the end. It's my grandfather's name, and so we call him Law. And uh, our daughter, Savannah, is almost 25. She'll be 25 in a week. And then Law just married our sweet daughter-in-law, Delancey, and um, we are delighted to have a daughter-in-law now, too. And so our family is from Illinois. Our kids came uh, to college down here and decided they didn't want to go back to Illinois, which we think was a wise choice. And uh, I spent 25 years in the corporate world and then transitioned into uh, full-time ministry when I came on staff here at Plano uh, just almost three years ago. And um, I think as I was looking at these pictures, I thought another thing that would be helpful for you to know in terms of parenting, like when it came to kids, I don't think we could have had two more opposite children on the spectrum of temperaments and personalities. And when you're a new mama, that's very confusing, you know? And so, and and plus Tom and I had very different backgrounds growing up. Um, And so parenting was always, that was probably the hardest thing for us in our marriage. Everybody's got the thing. We had a lot of things. That was one that stressed us a bit when things got crazy. Because our son, um, I would describe him as like the energetic, full of life, enthusiastic, gregarious, always hanging from the tree kind of kid. And he he was probably more of a strong-willed child in terms of how he pushed the limits with us in the home. Like he pushed against us a lot. And so I was always worried, which crossed over into fear, which is not good um, in your parenting approaches, uh, that he would push the limits outside the home. But the amazing thing is he never did. He was far more of a rule follower internally than I understood, um, which is really interesting. And Savannah, she was, I think, like the easiest baby on the planet. She she was this easygoing child, gentle, um, sweet, sensitive to everybody's feelings. She was the three-year-old who was like, Mama, can I help carry the groceries for you? And I'm like, oh, Amazing. Um, but what, and so she, she was so easy in the home and so accommodating, happy to do what everybody else wanted. So we didn't really worry so much about her pushing limits outside the home. But what we missed was part of in her, her temperament was a tendency to people please. And so that was hard for her going into her teen years. And we missed a lot of that because we weren't looking for it. And so, I don't know, the amazing thing is that, um, you know, the Lord is, The Lord's the one that builds the home and covers our mistakes. He's the one who knows everything. And I feel like kind of, kids are a little bit like Christmas presents and you just don't really know what you have until they're fully unwrapped. And so I can tell you, I totally understand my children's temperaments when they were little, now that I see them through the lens of who they are today. It makes total sense. They are exactly the same today as they were then and vice versa in terms of how God made them. But God develops your children over time. They change. They, they, they're trying to figure themselves out. And so there's no way we can know exactly how God has wired this child. Um, and we have to trust him for the wisdom. And so um, that's normal. Hindsight's 2020. We do the best we can with what we know at the time. And uh, so I also want to disclose, we have all done Regen. All four of us have gone through Regen. Delancey did too. The fifth one, we're like, you got to do Regen. <laughs> we don't know your childhood, but you will know ours. And so we've had great conversations about things we did well as parents and didn't do well as parents. We've tried to make those things right. In conversation, kids have talked about what they didn't do so well. There were some surprises along the way. It's all good because God is faithful. And so, um, 
You know, we have just been a family that continues to wrestle things out, communicate along the way, and trust the Lord, and just keep talking to each other, even when it's hard. Um, Because Tom and I had a really rough start. Uh, Neither Tom nor I were walking with the Lord um, when we got married, and so... um, I look at these pictures also and I think about that young one of us where all the hair is different like Tom now has beard and no hair and then before he had hair and no beard and mine was super short and we had fun with hair. But um, those young pictures are from the decade of the 90s and that was a decade that I realized I was super influenced um, by some of the messages of the world and primarily Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton was the wife of Bill Clinton who was president for those two terms all through the 90s. And she had a super clear message to the women and it was, hey, ladies, you can do it all. You can be anything you wanna be. You can have it all. And that was, if anybody remembers that that's old enough here, That was loud and that was prevalent and it was really, really bad advice. It was not godly advice. Um, By the time our kids were about four and five, um, I found myself really trying to walk that out, trying to be all things to all people. I was, both Tom and I were working full time. We were juggling kids and schedules and driving the new cars and building a new house. I was doing my best to just keep everything, you know, spinning, the plate spinning in all directions, never let anybody down you know, trying to be perfect wife, perfect mother, perfect employee, perfect employer, daughter, sister, you name it. Um, And because at that stage of my life, I didn't understand God's priorities for my life, um, I really just tried to balance everything equal, like just pay equal attention to everything. Um, And there just weren't enough hours in the day. I mean, I hit the wall of exhaustion and burnout before I was 30 because I bought the lie, I tried walking it, and it was a disaster. And, you know, the truth is, that message you guys still hear today, we still hear it. Your generation hears it, too. It just comes to you from different sources. We've got social media and news everywhere and blogs and books, even in Christian circles. You know, you just got to be the best you. Darn it, lay down all the, you know, whatever holds you back, and you find you. Um, And that's, that, this life is not about you. That's a, that's a lie. That's a false message, too. This is not about us, Um, When you live your life trying to have it all and do it all and be it all, you'll suffer. Your soul, your heart, your physical, your emotions, your spiritual life, it suffers. And the closest relationships around us suffer too. Um, And it's the culture today that says, yeah, you can do it all and be it all. You just got to balance it better. You just need to balance it better. But is balance really possible? The definition of balance, if you Google it, it says it's an even distribution of weight enabling someone or something to remain upright and steady. Even distribution of everything so we can remain upright and steady. And I don't think it's the even distribution of all these things, of life and work and responsibilities and relationships that keeps us upright and steady. You know, I mean, there are days that my work requires more attention than my husband gets. You know, there's days that my husband needs more attention and gets more attention from me than my health gets. There's days that the kids get all the attention, you know. And then there's days you think you know what's going to get your attention. You had it planned out, but then a friend calls in crisis, and you got to lay that down and go give the attention to the friend that needs it. And so what I want to do is I want to take a minute and do an opening exercise at your tables. Take your hand out that has the picture of this blank circle on the front of it a series of circles. 
And what I wanna do is just take about five minutes. I want you to start in the middle. The, the concept is here is we are gonna diagram all of the relationships that touch you. And we're gonna start by putting your name in the middle. And then we're gonna work out and start with categories of relationships. There's a lot of room around this because this is gonna get very full. Breathe, <laughs> prepare. Okay, so put your name in the middle. So for instance, I filled mine out as a start and what you can see for me is my name's in the middle and then I chose categories around me of those relationships closest to me. Kids is one circle, so if that's you, right, kids. You know, I put husband. You know, if you're in the room and you have an ex-husband, that's, there's gonna be more than one that touches that circle, okay? Um, I put work. Ministry, family, community group. You know, you think of what the main categories of your relationships are and put them in that first circle. Then what you're going to do is you're going to draw little spikes and you're gonna make that grow bigger. And you're gonna say, so for instance, for me, with my kids, I would have two spikes off of that, one that says Law, one that says Savannah. And then off of Law, I'd have Delancey. Or I might put her in my main circle. Um, and I've got Tom for my husband there. Community group, there's gonna be a bunch of spikes out. I'm gonna name all of the women in their own circle. I'm gonna name their husbands connected to them. In family, I'm thinking of my siblings, my dad, my mom has passed away, um, my husband's family. Those all get their own circle off of that spike. So just start working through that. Think about ministry. Think about your teams and ministry that you interact with, that you serve with. Write down the team name as a category and then do some more spikes and write all their names. Is anybody starting to hyperventilate yet? Keep going. Keep going. Oh yeah, social media. There's a big category there. Social media, how many followers do you have? 100, 300, 1,000? You got any? Yes, neighborhood. That's right, it's a good one. There's lots of categories. What did you say, Leslie? One. Oh, thank you. Um, your kids' school, if your kid's already in preschool, um, or if they're in elementary school or a private school, or if you're at a homeschool co-op, those are more relationships. Write the name of each relationship in those categories. Yeah. Keep drawing your circle. Your neighbors that you see outside. Your husband's work. There's people in your husband's work. A lot of times we have to keep those relationships up in a helpful way. Oh, someone has the gym. Yeah. I know girls out there work out. I know you know other worker-outers. <laughs> Who are they? Name them. <laughs> the heroes. <laughs> your kids' school, sports, sports teams your kids may be on, activities, music lessons, swim lessons. Breathe. I know. Breathe. <laughs> deep breath in, deep breath out. Yes, I want to see how big the... I wanna see how big they are. You can do it, keep going. Go faster, fast, fast, fast. Don't be so specific. Just start blasting names out, you got them. 
There you go, draw a circle, there you go. Just draw a circle, fill it out. <laughs> oh, look at you guys, this is good. You can look at your neighbor's paper and tell them if they forgot you. Yeah, yeah like old high school friends, maybe that you keep up with, college friends. That's good. Nest friends. Did I put friends on there? Look, I didn't even put friends. Oh, Meg. Oh, you deserve so a friend circle. All of my friends are in that circle. <laughs> Will you be my friend? Done. I need a friend. Clearly. All right. Honestly, we're just going to go ahead, stop where you are, take a look, take a look at your diagram. Here's what I want you to do is you look at it, and yes, you could take this home and keep filling it out, and it would give you more hyper, hyperventilation responses. But look, look at all of these relationships, and just think for a minute as you look at those names. Think about the different weight that you place on the different relationships. Some have a heavier weight. Um, for many reasons, um, some of a lighter weight in your life. Think about the energy that each of these relationships takes, because some of those relationships are in hard places. Some of those are in really great places. Think about all the tasks that go along with maintaining those relationships, serving the needs of those relationships. I mean, any task we do in our life is for the purpose of stewarding a relationship well. And then here's the, here's the kicker. Make sure your social media account is in there. Think of all the expectations every person in those bubbles has of you. Think of what they're expecting of you relationally. And so when you look at that, the question is, can you see how impossible balance is? I mean, just look at it. Can you possibly keep all of that evenly distributed so everybody, you, are upright and balanced? You know, we can't balance all of these people and responsibilities easily, evenly. It's a myth. Balance is truly a myth when you look at the definition of balance and you look at the complexity of our world and how connected and to how many people we are connected, it is impossible. And I'm serious when I say breathe. <laughs> like, it is okay, because here's the point. God is not asking us to balance all of this evenly. That's not God putting that expectation on us. That's not language he uses in scripture. That's the culture's voice. That's our expectation. Somehow we can keep all this spinning. So balance is not possible, but stewarding our relationships with godly wisdom is. Okay, stewarding is. And when you, when you think about stewarding, the way stewarding is used in the Bible, it's really defined as managing, a manager that is looking over and taking care of someone else's stuff, someone else's things or people. So God asks us to steward the relationships he gives us responsibility for because they're really his. Our marriage is a gift. Our children are his. They are a gift. We are to steward all of the people in our lives. So what we want to be able to do is make sure that we know which relationship at any given time requires the best of our time and our energy. And it could be in a day. It could be in a moment. It could be in a season. And it can certainly be, it is, over a lifetime, okay? God wants us to thrive in our relationships, and it's only going to happen when you look at that map. It is only going to happen that we thrive in relationships if we do things his way, not our way, not the world's way, 
And so we need to ask him for his wisdom because he is the source of all wisdom. So look at James 1. I think verses two through six are up on the screen for you, okay? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. But if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to everybody without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. So we're gonna talk about busting the myth of balance today, and that requires three things, at least three things, but we only have so much time, so we're gonna pick three. Balance, uh, busting the myth of balance requires wise thinking, wise juggling, and wise speaking, okay? Wise thinking, wise juggling, and wise speaking. So if you wanna take your hand out, the front page has the first two um, columns running up and down them. There are fill in the blanks that you can follow along and use this as a resource later. So number one, busting the myth of balance requires wise thinking. That's where I wanna start. Because to think wisely, we've got to know God's priorities for family life, right? Not ours, not Hillary Clinton's, not everybody in your bubble. We gotta know what God's priorities for family life are. That's what we're talking about, family life. And the first fill in the blank is God's priorities should determine mine. God's priorities should determine mine. And let me remind you, there is no true wisdom apart from God's wisdom. No wisdom apart from faith in Jesus Christ. And it's in 1 Corinthians 1, 24 that says, but to those that God has called, both Jew and Greek alike, Christ is the power of God and he is the wisdom of God. Christ himself is the wisdom of God. So God is the source. God the Father is the source of all wisdom and he reveals it to us through the person of Jesus Christ and through his written word and the spoken words of Jesus Christ. Christ is what holds us upright and steady. He, the person, holds us upright and steady, not balancing everything, okay? So we wanna look to the Bible to see how God wants us to approach family life. And we've gotta start here with our thinking before we get more practical on how we walk it out. And what's so interesting is when you study scripture, the clearest commands about family life are given to both husbands and wives. Like both husbands and wives have these next priorities we wanna talk about. Nobody gets a pass. We're both on the hook for that, okay? And this you can see under A, God's commands for husbands and wives. And these, these concepts we're gonna go through, um, all the scripture references are at the bottom. We'll have some on the screen, but there's a lot more. So you can look those up later and study those. <clears throat> but above all else, husbands and wives are to pursue their relationship with God That's first, pursue their relationship with God. And this comes from the command that Moses gave to the Israelite families in Deuteronomy 6, specifically verse five. It's where he tells the Israelite families, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your strength. That's everything, okay? Your relationship with Christ is first and primary because everything flows out of that. I know you know that, but we're gonna talk about how we walk it out 
And secondly, husbands and wives are to pursue relationship with each other. Pursue relationship with each other. There's a ton of verses on this, specifically in the New Testament. But Ephesians 5.33 is a great one that just kind of summarizes it all up. And it says, each of you must love your wife as he loves himself. That's to the husbands. And the wife must respect her husband. Okay, that's a great summary how we're to love and respect in our marriages. And it's the bedrock of the family. Okay, and husbands and wives are to disciple your children. Disciple your children. Moses continued in Deuteronomy 6, specifically verse 6 and 7, as he's talking about the commandments that start with loving God. He moves on and says, all these commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Discipleship is a responsibility for both husband and wife of their children daily, everything we do, okay? And then lastly, the fill in the blank, the command from scripture to both men and women is to manage your household well. Manage your household well. There's a lot of different verses on this, but we see clearly that both husbands and wives are to team together to provide for the physical, spiritual, and emotional needs of the family. And there's a term used in the Greek language in at least two of the verses that we find in 1 Timothy. And both of those Greek words, when you look back, our translations make all different kind of interpretations of that, but the Greek word means managing your household well. And we see that specifically, for instance, when, when um, Paul is giving instructions of how men are to be considered for leadership in the church, the bar of what the ideal is, 1 Timothy 3.2, a deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and manage his household well. That's that language right there. And then that same phrasing is used when we see Paul setting the standard for the young women who are starting out their families. 1 Timothy 5, 14. So I want younger women to marry, to bear children, manage a household in order to give the adversary no opportunity to vilify us, no opportunity to slander us. And so here's the point. When the pace of our lives and the priorities of our lives are just out of control, these critical relational responsibilities are, su- are suffering, okay? So look at the list on the screen. There's a summary there. Pursue God, pursue each other, disciple your kids, manage your household well. As you look at that list, are there any in your life today that are really suffering? And think through, what do you think the underlying cause of that is? What's driving the problem? There's lots of problems, I know, But here's the thing, if you're prioritizing your daily abiding with Christ, your personal relationship with Jesus, then you'll have wisdom, you'll have access to to the wisdom that you need in order to figure out how to begin handling any of these other situations with wisdom. And it's the first place to look. How are you doing abiding with Christ? And look, I know everybody wants the hour with the beautiful cup of coffee and the serene lake in the back and no children crying. It's like all over social media. It is on every women's retreat brochure, you know? (laughs) But the truth is, you guys know in this season of life, that is so rare. I mean, when we are juggling the kids and the young ages and babies are crying and not sleeping and everything's going crazy, we don't get the hour always. It is easier before you have a family and when you're in an empty nest season, it's easier on those bookends, but the middle. So what do we do? Just wait until we get the hour? No, that would be foolish. 
you know, what we wanna do, when you think of abiding, think of putting worship music on and singing those words as you're driving, singing them with your kids, rehearsing them in your mind, reciting scripture, like having this constant conversation running in your head with the Lord as you're managing your day, you're, you're working with your children, you're, you're taking care of ministry and, and doing the work that you juggle. You wanna say, Lord, help me see what you see today. Lord, help me know what you want me to do. Lord, help me to understand how to respond. It's a constant conversation. I think people think I'm nuts when I'm driving. I like technology because they think I'm talking on the phone. I'm really talking to the Lord. It's true. I do it out loud. You know, or grab the, I mean, we've got to spend time in the word. And if you got 15 minutes, grab the 15 minutes. You can also lay your, your um, Bible on the kitchen counter or the living room, wherever, somewhere the kids can't rip it apart. But, you know, do the whole glance and go thing. Glance at the scripture that you're reading and meditate and talk about it. And then when you go back, you know, to put the dishes in or to, you know, whatever you're getting ready to do, go grab another section of scripture and keep it, keep it running through your mind. It, abiding looks so different than our retreat pictures, although those are wonderful, so I'm a big fan of them. But listen, we can get very creative in solving our problems of pace and priorities, and sometimes I feel like we just re- need reminders to get creative and get the freedom in your heart that you need as opposed to trying to just meet all the expectations of your bubble life, you know, or yourself. Um, And one of the ways I think that it's helpful um, to just remember the freedom we have to be creative in solving these problems is just remember the difference between a biblical command and a biblical conviction, okay? And those are B on your handout. A biblical command, fill in the blank, is an authoritative order from God that must be obeyed. It's an authoritative order from God that must be obeyed. It's the list that we covered I mean, think of the discipleship of your children. God is saying, you must, you are commanded as my children to teach your children how to know me and love me and serve me all the days of their lives. A biblical conviction, then, is how you walk out the command. It's the freedom you have to walk that out in very different ways from each other. So a biblical conviction is a belief you hold based on God's word, with freedom to disagree with other believers in its application. So like in your methods of discipling your children, you know, I hope you know, please know, you are free to choose homeschooling, you are free to choose private school, you are free to choose public school. There is freedom in that. Everybody's got opinions about it. But we gotta be careful about that because there are commands that say disciple and then conviction and wisdom is walking it out in your family the way you believe is best. Like a date night with your husband. You're free to enjoy a glass of wine together. You're free to abstain. And there's many reasons for both, okay? Like in providing for your household, whether a mom is working outside the home or staying home, there's freedom in those choices. But these are very significant decisions. And so in this kind of a decision with our convictions, we wanna pray and wrestle and get on the same page with our husbands. We want to invite community in. We want to get wise counsel. And then we want to make the best decision in freedom to do what's best for your family, even if it looks different than other people, okay? So remember the difference between a biblical command and a biblical conviction. And I love John Piper's definition of wisdom. John Piper says that wisdom in the Bible is knowing the greatest goal in any situation, and the best way to achieve that goal. 
knowing the greatest goal in any situation and the best way to achieve that goal. So here's a question. Have you and your husband ever talked about the things that are most important to you in family life? Like, have you talked about what goals you have for family life? And have you talked about not just the goal, what you're shooting for, but the things that are important to you as you, you decide how to walk towards those goals? Because whether you talk about it or not, whether you realize it or not, you both have them. You have core values. Those are core values, values um, that are driving your decision-making. And so it's really good to talk about them because they're present. And sometimes problems come when we're not aware of them or we're not talking about them. And so a good way to plan ahead and anticipate wise decision-making is to identify what I'm going to call non-negotiable core values, family values, okay? And I think the definition is on your handout. A non-negotiable core value, these are things you strongly believe that help shape your decisions, okay? Things you strongly believe that help you shape your decisions. These are hills you're willing to die on. These are hills that you're saying, hey, no matter how we rearrange, this has to be present. And if you take the backside of your circle bubble sheet, there's a list that says, hey, what are your top 10 non-negotiable family values, core values? And I want us to take five minutes probably and think through them, and let me explain how, how to think through these. Um, think about things that are very practical. Things, things that no matter your schedule, your challenges, these things have to be present for you to feel that you are walking out the biblical commands we just reviewed with wisdom. Like for me, for instance, um, and my husband, you know, dinner time as a family, until the kids got driver's license, I think we ate dinner together five nights a week, no matter what we did. That meant if Tom, he was a teacher at that time, if, and the kids had sports, I would actually pack dinner and we'd go sit and have dinner together in dad's classroom. You know, we were creative. It doesn't mean everybody's at home. It just means we're together. How do we make that happen? And it was kind of fun. Um, so think about those things for you. Make it practical and go ahead and start listing them. Think about, like, if you know what, if you and your husband know these things and you're on the same page and you can identify them, great, do that. But if you've never thought about it, just start with you. Or if you're not sure you and your husband are on the same page, write your core values, Okay. So, I, for instance, um, and you guys can go ahead and start, uh, I'm thinking things that were always on ours, the dinner together, um, college prep, you know, college prep was one of them. It, it drove some of our education choices because we wanted our kids to go to college. Um, serving others in ministry. If we did ministry, we all did ministry. We didn't do a lot of the, you go here, we go here, we kind of all did it together. And they've learned to love God's house. Um, they didn't always love the dragging, but they've learned to love God's house. You know, unplug time together. I was the like, throw the phones out the window. I'm going to lose my mind. We did a lot of camping. We, did, we packed picnics just to be outside. So like, go ahead for you, take a few minutes. What for you would you say your top 10 non-negotiables are? My list included care of animals. I was a big fan of giving kids responsibility and seeing how the Lord takes care of life through how he's created animals and our responsibilities. So we always had animals. That made it to our list. Did not please my husband, actually, but we agreed, ultimately. Mine included not pian he loved piano dogs. lessons until sixth grade. Yep. Oh, I'm hardcore. Yeah, I was Be too. Because my mom mm -hmm. gives them for free, and so it's two birds with one stone. Perfect. We're doing it. Absolutely. 
laughter. My husband had that one on there. He's like, if it's not fun, why are we doing it? Okay, good. Laughter is important. That was a good balance. I was the serious one. All right, so just take a couple minutes. And here's the thing with this. Just you can work on this at home. You can talk with your husband about this. It's really important, and we'll keep talking about why. So just take another minute and wrap, wrap up what comes to mind. Did anybody hit 10 already? Overachievers. <laughs> you need one more? That's all right. And you know what? There may not be 10. There may be 15. There may be five. And you don't want 20 because if you have that many, you just can't possibly do that all either, you know? So, so let's just go ahead and just, just kind of look at that and, and, I, and, then, and we'll move on. And what I want you to understand is that when you look at this list, what it, what it is, is it's the things that are you're actually doing or not doing in your life that are gonna tie to the commands for the family. It's a great way of looking at your list and saying, how does that tie to pursuing God, pursuing each other, discipling our kids, managing our household well, with lots of freedom. Um, the things that we value most should somehow trace back to those things, right? Um, and, and it's also, a, it's a great opportunity, like if things have just been crazy and you're just off, you know how there's seasons you're like, things are just not right and I don't know why. You know, you can look at this list and for instance, if you put outdoor play, or being outdoors is one of your non-negotiable core values, but you realize for the last three months or six weeks, everybody's been cooped in the house, sitting in front of the television, and you're about to go goofy. Well, that would explain, hey, there's a good solution. Let's, let's change it up and let's do something and figure out how to get outside. I mean, it's a helpful list every once in a while to go through and see what adjustments you can make. So we'll hold this sheet. We're gonna come back to it later. But I do want to then move on to the second point. Busting the myth of balance requires wise juggling. That's number two, wise juggling, okay? So remember, the goal's not balance. The goal is, first fill in the blank here, keeping a healthy tension of priorities. Keeping a healthy tension of priorities. Because here's the truth. You will always, always experience tension when you say no to one good thing to make room for something that's better. It's always a tension there. Like if you are you know, saying no to um, Bible study leading this semester so that you can make room for what's gonna change and what needs to have some margin when the new baby comes. Okay, there's tension there. Or if you are needing to help care for a parent who is sick, um, there's gonna be tension as you spend a lot of time helping mom deal with that, and you'd really rather be with your husband and your kids reading bedtime stories. There's a tension. And so what you have to ask is, you know, um, is it just temporary appropriate tension because it's the right thing to do and it's the hard thing to do? Then you just need to process that and be okay with that. Or is it a tension that is kind of moving into a longer-term stress, like something that's unhealthy? And that can happen when, for instance, you're ignoring those priorities that God has for your life. Um, or because your own family core values, like I, like I mentioned, are just being systematically ignored and shoved away. Um, or the other thing is sometimes life's just hard. Sometimes seasons are just hard. You're doing everything you can and it just feels awful. It's just hard. Um, sometimes there just aren't great, easy, quick fixes. But what I can tell you is all of these problems that were crossing into unhealthy tensions for us, they were present in our home early in our marriage. They were present in me. Um, 
And I accepted Christ when I was 10. I grew up in a Christian home, but I didn't understand the whole personal relationship with Jesus, and I didn't read his word for myself. And so by the time I was a teenager and young adult, I was totally unprepared for the lure of sin. And so my sin and my pride and rebellion led to more sin, which included marrying my unsaved husband. Tom did not believe in God. He came from a very broken home. And so what happened when things, when the wheels fell off and life was crazy, I tried to play God and just fix it all. I just tried to act like God as if I could somehow solve all of these problems. And so just so you can see how this worked out in my life, it'll be different from you, but when the kids were around four and five, Tom had decided he was gonna leave the culinary world. He was a chef which is awesome because he still cooks. But he was leaving that and he was gonna be a teacher. He wanted to go into teacher and help make the difference in kids' lives because one of his teachers had made a difference in his life. And so in order to do that, he had to go back to college because he hadn't finished out of high school. He actually had hardly even started. And so for about four years, what we did is I got up. Um, I, I got up early in the morning. I was on the computer by like four in the morning. Um, I worked for a couple hours from home, jumped in the shower, ran to the train station, caught the 7.30 train, went downtown Chicago, we're from Illinois, um, worked my, my day there, I was in a leadership track and corporate banking, um, and then I got on the 2.30 train, if I didn't miss it, and got home to get the kids off the bus at 3.30, and did this for about four or five years. And so Tom would be home with the kids in the morning, juggle everything that they needed, he'd head off to um, student teach, and then go to class at night. And that was the basic rhythm for years. Um, and so we were prioritizing time with our kids because neither one of us felt right about having our kids go to kinder care. Um, and we had had family members helping us, but then they weren't able to keep that pace. Um, And so it was good because we had time with our kids, but we did not have good time with each other. And the truth is, um, the amazing thing is, though, it's that very chaos and out of control, everything that the Lord used to just drive me to to the end of myself and just beg him for help. And the long story short is that's the season then when I recommitted my life to Christ and I began just diving into his word and begging the Lord to save my husband, which that long story short is not long after that season. That was the path that allowed Tom to see Christ and then ultimately place his faith in Christ. And that was 20 years ago. And so I can look back and we were providing for our household, but we were not getting our relationships right. And all of that was unfixable until we had a personal relationship with Jesus and could access his wisdom. So you may not identify with me in getting up early and going taking the train to work. Not in Dallas. There are no trains. Well, that's not true. There are some. Um, sorry. Um, but I think, you know, you can, you can think through what causes you to be weary. I, I work with so many of you guys. I interact with so many young women. And I can spot the weariness in the eyeballs that I had. So it's for different reasons, but it's the same outcome, you know. And so you have to think, is it is because it you got too many side hustles going on? Is it because you're at the church just too much? Is it because you overcommitted to the room mom? Yeses that sounded like a great idea in August or, you know, June. And so um, you just have to realize what it is um, and reassess. Be willing to reassess. And I think that's the next uh, category in your handout. A, you have to be willing to assess how the family is doing And be willing to make changes and great questions to ask when you look at you. Is my husband or my child, my children, getting my leftovers? Are they getting my best or are they getting my leftovers? Okay? 
Are they getting my best or are they getting my leftovers? They're flags when you're so exhausted that you don't have the energy to respond with a cheerful yes to your husband's attempts for physical intimacy. And you're like, oh no. (laughs) And we know life can be that way. And when babies come and children, we know. But if you are systematically structuring your life in a way that that is not a priority, that is a problem. That was always, that has been constant in my life. Always, that's a flag. You gotta communicate on that. You gotta prioritize it. It's important. You know, the other benchmark I've always had is, am I short and frustrated with the kids really for no reason? It's me. It's not them. They're just kids. It's me. And part of the discipleship out of Deuteronomy 6 is letting the kids see how you handle daily life. You know, are you stressed out and angry or are they watching you trust God even when it's difficult and when things are a little wheels off? And are you trusting God with all of those things? There was this one aha moment. It was, a, it was an amazing aha moment for me when we were little about this and how um, our, our, the impact of the pace of our life um, on specifically our, our daughter. Um, because since we worked full-time during the week, um, Saturday was the morning I enjoyed running errands with the kids. And sometimes Tom did or sometimes he was doing construction or something that he worked on the side. But I would take the kids, we'd do grocery shopping, we'd run around, we'd make it fun, we'd play in the park, we might pack a picnic, it was just fun. But what I did in the morning that I thought was fun is, okay guys, up, let's go, get your shoes on, let's get breakfast. It's you know, like the drill sergeant, you know? Because that's how Tom and Lawrence and I, we kind of think and function. But our sweet Savannah... One time, she was probably five or six. I will never forget, I was walking down the stairs doing my drill sergeant thing, cheerfully, but drill sergeant. And um, she just sits down on the landing and she sobs. I'm like, honey, what's wrong? And she goes, why do we always have to hurry up? I don't want to hurry up. I mean, she's like, I think she was five. And she she articulated that so beautifully. And the key is that um, in that moment, I realized this child is not wired like I am wired. She's not wired. It's like we were three thorns and the one rose. And we could steamroll her if we weren't careful. But what was so cool about that moment, that, that was a moment that changed how I interacted with her, how I parented. But the cool thing is that happened because I had been abiding with Christ I had been asking him for wisdom. It was still wheels off in our schedule, but he gave me that moment. That was his answer. We wanna know, how does God speak? That's how he speaks. You ask him to show you what's needed, show you the needs of your kid, and then he does that, and you cannot miss it. And it changed everything. But if you're not slowing down enough to ask God or to look for it, you won't see it, and you will trample your kids. I would trample my kids. So that's one way to take a look at the pace. Um, And is it out of control? Assess how you're doing. The other thing is you can ask, are there any big changes? That's another fill in the blank. Any big changes that are coming up that warrant rearranging your priorities? A new baby, kids going into a new grade in school, a special needs child that the needs are ramping up, potential for promotion or job loss. You gotta anticipate It's nice to try and anticipate before you hit the wall (laughs) so you don't hit the wall. That's the other thing I've learned. That's wisdom. That's why you get to be called wise because you do it wrong so many times that you're like, oh, I'm wise. That doesn't work. That's one of them. Anticipate. So become a student of the health of your family, okay? Become a student of the health of your family. And I think you do have to get comfortable with the tension of these hard choices and disappointing people, the right people in the right situations, And I think you also have to realize, when are you and your husband just saying yes to too many people? 
You know, Galatians 1.10 is a wonderful, wonderful reminder where Paul says, am I now trying to win the approval of people, you know, or of God? Am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And we want to be servants of Christ, okay? And then you want to also recognize when stress is simply coming because one of you is just taking on more responsibility and more of a load than you really have capacity to handle at this time for whatever reason. There's many reasons that happens. And then sometimes we just get in this rut, like we just do what we do because that's what we do and that's what we're supposed to do and then we don't even realize you've got freedom to change it up. And so when you're assessing who is doing what, ask a question. Which load needs to be lightened? Is one of the... Is one of you in the marriage carrying too big of a load for this season? And what's fun is you can use this to then see, revisit how God made each of you. And the question is, are you and your husband operating out of your giftings and out of your skills? Because it's easier if you are. And we don't always have that luxury. But if you do have the opportunity to change it up, do it. You know, like, is it time to swap who pays the bills and who does the grocery shopping? That's one in our lives that we have flipped back and forth forever, but we ultimately land. I like paying the bills. I've managed budgets my whole life. That is something I enjoy, and it helps me. It makes, you know, Tom's fine at it, but it makes me crazy when he does it. So it's just better when I do it. (laughs) Buy both of our admission, because he doesn't really like that. But for instance, he loves to serve. His gift is serving. And so he loves, he was a chef. He loves to cook for us. He doesn't mind grocery shopping. And so there have been seasons where he's done all the grocery shopping and he does it so much better than me. Right now, I'm doing the shopping, but if I'm too tired or it's been a late night, I can call him and say, could you by any chance stop by the store? I'm just too tired. He's like, yeah, sure. It does not stress him out. It stresses me out. And so I don't know what it is for you, but the point is, are there things that you can swap? Something you could take off of your husband because he's overloaded right now or something you could ask him to take off of you because you're overloaded now? And then as you go through this, here's the other question. Are you speaking each other's love language? I assume you guys know what the love languages are. Words of affirmation, gift giving, quality time, physical touch. I'm sure I missed one in there. Acts of service. Thank you. But talk about these things because I'm telling you, a lot of problems can be avoided if we just do a better job along the way in the times of stress to be mindful of filling up each other's love tank, right? And you gotta remember that as we grow and change and develop as human beings in our marriages, things change. Can't assume that the love language that worked for one or both of you five years ago is still in place today. Talk about it, what's changing? And then the last point here, I'd say, what about the kids? What about the kids? Are the children capable of handling more, helping more? And the answer is yes, you'd be surprised. Your children are far more at every age of helping more than you want to let them, okay? You, we need to let our kids do more. Kids do want to rise to the level of ask and they wanna feel part of the team. I have seen so many young moms do everything for their kids and I'm telling you guys, it cripples your children. Okay, our goal in training a a child, discipling, Deuteronomy 6, is also, there's many Proverbs and there's many scriptures. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train a child in the way he should go, so when he's old, he will not turn from it. It's not a promise, it's a principle that says we are to train them up, and that includes helping them feel like they're part of the team, they're part of the family, like their contribution matters. You can let little ones fold the towels, 
shock. It's not going to be perfect. Don't go behind them and refold them. Let them succeed at folding the towels. If you're refolding them, that's not a wise way to spend your time. I know, I know, I'm just saying. Or like, can they feed the dog? You know, can they take the scoop, put it in the bowl, and if they miss half, the dog's going to clean it up anyway, you know? But the goal is not that their work is perfect. That is not the goal. The goal is you're inviting them in, you're trying to figure out how, and it's training you to realize my children are part of our solution. It is not all up to me. And you want these kids to be productive members in your household and in society. And we are crippling our children by thinking we have to do it all for them because we want it done perfectly or it's too much of a hassle to invite them in. Live with the mess. It doesn't last forever. So the last point just is that family life requires teamwork, okay? Family life requires teamwork and it includes your children. So juggle wisely to keep a healthy tension between all these good priorities, okay? And again, all the scriptures and a longer context around each of them are at the bottom for all of this, plus what we'll cover in the last section. So be sure you look at them. But what we want to do now is just give you some table time to reflect and discuss. And there's some questions up on the screen. You know, you've got your non-negotiables there. Um, You've got the handout. And so what I want you to think through is, do you think right now there's a healthy tension of priorities in your family life? Or are you in a place right now where you need to reassess? You know, which, which state are you in? Feeling good about the healthy tension or feeling really not good because it's crossing into unhealthy? And if you look at that non-negotiable list, can you look at those and see, hey, we're doing really well in these? And like, oh my goodness, we've totally ignored this. And you may just say, oh my goodness, I don't even know. I gotta talk to my husband, I have no idea. That's great, that's a great action step too. And then you also wanna look at, hey, do you think you and your husband are actually, the way you divide the labor to manage the household well, There's a lot of freedom that way. Are you guys operating out of your gifts and your skills and doing it the best you can in this this season? So why don't you take at least 10 minutes here and talk through that, and then we'll be back in just a minute. I think this is a subject that we can just have no end to the conversation. It's a good conversation. But, all right, so what we want to do in the next, um, just the the rest of our time here is I want to talk about just um, things that are connected to the fact that when When the pace and the priority in our homes are just out of whack and our stress levels are high, um, we tend to, in our language, our body language, our words, our tone, we tend to just get really harsh with our kids, impatient, irritated. um, And what we want to do is talk about that. If we look at Proverbs 12, 18, I love this. This has been a helpful verse for me. because I'm pretty intense. I've always got something to say. Not always helpful. Um, But 1218 says, the words of the reckless pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise bring healing. Oh, I love that. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Don't we want to heal the wounds that our children face in this world and in their life? Don't we want our home to be the place that is a place where they don't have to be wounded by our reckless tongues? Or when they are, if they are, we are quick to realize it, ask their forgiveness and make it right. Proverbs 14.1 is another amazing verse, great one. A wise woman, talking about a wise woman, she builds her house up, but a foolish one tears hers down. A wise woman builds her house up, but a foolish woman tears hers down. And I've never met a woman who wants to tear her house down, never. 
but we end up doing more tearing down than building up because we don't, um, we don't speak wisely. And so if you look at the back side of your handout with the purple bar, we wanna talk about busting the myth of balance, which also requires wise speaking, okay? We need to learn how to speak wisely to our kids, not harshly, not impatiently. No matter what we are personally facing, no matter the stresses we are under, because if we wait until we're not stressed, that's, that's not acceptable. You ha- we have to learn how to speak wisely in the midst of the hard things for us. It's, it's part of what creates a safe and secure environment so they can develop according to the way God has designed them to develop emotionally, physically, um, spiritually, certainly. Um, and it's a huge way of how we present the gospel to them, how we model loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We wanna show them that, that in our hard things, it's not that we pretend things aren't hard, but in the hard things, we are modeling what it looks like to be loving and kind and trust God. Because our, our stress, you know this, our stress sparks their stress, their stress sparks bad behavior, which sparks our irritation, and we're like, what is wrong with you all? It's not them, it's us. We're the ones that are on the hook for that. We're responsible for understanding and shepherding and doing something about it. And so I think the other thing is that we get frustrated with the kids in a moment often, in a season, because we don't understand them. We really just don't understand them. We don't understand how they learn. We don't understand at the time how God's developing them. I see it now. I did not always see it then, okay? Um, We've got to be patient. So a wise woman, A, seeks to understand the needs of her children. I really think it's the mama's heart and desire and wiring to be able to understand and become a student of her child, to know what that child needs at each developmental stage. They can't do it, you know, three what they can do at five. They can't do at five what they can do at 10. And then sometimes we treat them like they're 16 and they can't touch any of that. So we got to learn those things and ask the Lord to meet um, us with his wisdom and his patience and kindness. And there's a lot of resources to help us um, in this area. Um, But like I said, kind of with that example of when Savannah had a meltdown on the landing, if the pace is so fast that we don't even have time to think about it, pursue that, pray about it, and watch for the answers, we will miss it. We've got to leave room and margin. And you never know when it's going to happen. You got to allow for white space on the calendar to make room for this. And so, and the other part of that in understanding our children is they want to be part of the team. They want to come in and be developed and part of the solution for any need in the moment. So a wise woman invites her children to be part of the solution, okay? A wise woman invites her children to be part of the solution. And I'm not talking about doing any of this perfectly. I am talking about doing it faithfully. What I hope I encourage you with is there are times it was wheels off (laughs) and we did not always do things well, but we communicated, we prayed, we watched, we talked, we asked for forgiveness when we got it wrong and we tried to do better and we gave that same grace to our kids. One of the resources we had when our kids were little was a book called How to Talk So Your Kids Will Listen and Listen So Your Kids Will Talk. And I'm not saying it's the best resource for you. It's like 20 or 30 years old. Um, But this was something that absolutely helped me. It's not necessarily a Christian book, but it made it through the Christian circles of women in our church because they were psychologists that really had started to figure out the speaker-listener and how you de-escalate and how you talk so a child will be understood. And it's psychology. All All truth is God's truth. So that the wisdom in there is the pieces of it that deal with how he made them 
that's truth. I'm just, it's not a, necessarily a Christian book and I haven't read it for a long time, but their suggestions were a huge lifesaver for me. And so what I wanna do is just show you quickly on the back here of this handout, just a couple examples that, that are the sorts of things we need to learn. I got these from the book I talked about. You might have other resources and places, but like, look at the first box. And what the whole point here is, hey, sometimes from the child's perspective, sometimes having somebody understand how much you want something just makes the reality of not being able to have it easier to bear. You know, here's a good example. These are just, they have like little bubble cartoons in this book, which I really liked. And so you got this picture of this little three-year-old sitting in the high chair and he's going, I want my Captain Crunch. And the mom says, well, we don't have any, honey. But I want them, but I want them. Oh, here, have some Cheerios. No, I want my Captain Crunch. Throwing the temper tantrum, melting down. And then she goes, you are just acting like a baby. Stop it. Okay, that is so avoidable. And I'm telling you, I practiced most of this on my son. This stuff worked on him. Savannah didn't throw a fit over the Captain Crunch. I don't know. But um, give a child his wish in fantasy. If you can just say, you know, so the child says, I want my Captain Crunch. And you say, oh, honey, I wish I had some in the house for you. I'm so sorry. We don't have any. I wish I did but I want them. Oh, baby, I hear you want them bad, don't you? Oh, yeah, I want them bad. I wish I had them. I wish I had the magic power that I could just make a hundred boxes of Captain Crunch appear for you. Wouldn't that be amazing? You know, and there's laughter and there's fun. And then at some point, either I suggest Cheerios or he says, well, I guess Cheerios will work. Cheerios will do. I'm telling you, like that sort of thing, that was great for my son, especially. And it's simple, you know? So there's resources out there that teach us this is what a child needs. And we just want to go you know, snap, snap, drill sergeant like I was doing, and that's not good for them. The next box is um, an example. Just it's easier to concentrate on the problem when someone describes it to you instead of telling you what's wrong with you. That applies to us as adults as well. You know, let's say it's a child. You've got a child that's responsible for letting the dog out, and the parent sees that the dog is running in circles ready to, you know, wet on the floor, and the parent says, you have not taken the dog out all day. You do not deserve a pet. Okay, that is not helpful. We've all said it. Not helpful. Instead, it's a great example of where you can describe the problem you see and give the chance to the kid to make the right choice and to be part of the solution instead of being shamed for his failure. Because at this age, they don't notice that the dog circling means they're going to, you know, go on the floor. All you have to say, hey, I see Rover pacing around. He's in front of the front of the door. Looks like he really wants to go out. You know, you say that a couple times and so many times a child will pop up and go like, oh my gosh, okay, I'll let him out. Thanks, baby, that was so great. Way to go, way to go. These are simple. It is not rocket science and it changed my life because <laughs> I didn't have these skills. And so, um, you know, there's a bunch more in here. You can just kind of look at some of those later. Um, but what I want to just kind of, as we just wrap our time, we've talked about um, the balance um, being a myth and to, to keep that in proper perspective, we've got to think wisely, we've got to juggle wisely, we've got to speak wisely. Um, all of these resources help us understand how our kids develop and what they need. But I do think also that one of the primary reasons we struggle with the pace and the priorities and the control and the people pleasing and trying to do it all is because deep down, we're actually just really afraid. There's fear at the core of it, okay? Fear that God's not gonna get it right. Fear that God hasn't got it right. Or fear that he can't get it right. 
fear that he's not gonna do what we think is best. There's also a fear. I mean, I remember thinking, oh my goodness, what if God's not in control? What if I really am? That strikes fear in the heart of the person when you realize I can't, I can't do all this. But the truth is fear makes a horrible master. Fear makes a horrible master. It's 2 Timothy 1.7 that says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. It's a faith journey. We don't want to parent out of fear, especially. We don't want to live out of fear, but when we parent out of fear, it becomes overbearing, harsh, critical, and the very things we're trying to accomplish, we are actually making sure we do not accomplish. We have got to loosen our grip and parent out of faith. We've got to live out of faith. And the truth is, everything that we entrust to Christ is safe with him. Anything in our hearts, in our minds, in our will, we say, I surrender this to you, Lord, that thing that child, that person, that relationship, that situation, it's safe with him. When we ask him for his wisdom on that, anything we hold back and we're controlling and we're not talking to him about because we think we got it, we're actually really saying we think we can do a better job managing this than he can. We can do a better job keeping it safe than he can. There's one situation that I faced when Savannah was um, going off to college that really was a critical moment where I was forced to make the choice between what do I really believe about releasing my child to the Lord versus trying to keep my child safe. And I know you guys know what that is like. It starts early. If you don't practice that faith muscle faithfully age-appropriate ways and let the leash out a little bit over time, you cripple your kids and it's hard when they get ready to leave the house. So Savannah was wrestling with where she wanted to go to college, and she's a really creative, free-spirited child, and it was hard for her to decide. She just wasn't sure. And so we had scheduled, she and I, I was kind of taking the college trip stuff for the kids, um, because I loved it, it was fun, and Tom couldn't get away from work because he was teaching then. And so Savannah and I had planned, it was like a Tuesday night, and on Thursday, we were supposed to drive to Tennessee to check out a school in Tennessee for art. And that Tuesday night, she had a total meltdown at dinner with us. And she just burst into tears. I don't know. I'm not excited. I don't want to go. I can't see myself there. But the deadlines were coming. She had to decide. And she just, it it had been a long season of not being sure. And so there had been a worship school in Dallas that our youth pastor had gone to and at one point had recommended. And she was a worship leader and a musician and a songwriter. I'm like, and, you know, she didn't want performance. But she's like, maybe I should go to a worship school to figure it out. Like, okay. So we, instead of going to Tennessee, took a beeline to Dallas that Thursday, which was a lot longer. Okay, and when we got there, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with CFNI, it's Christ for the Nations, far more charismatic than we were aware of. But it's where Carrie Job went, and who didn't love Carrie Job at that time if you were a girl worship leader? And so we went to visit that school, and we drove in on that Thursday or Friday night. I don't know if you know where it's at, but it's at the intersection of 35 and 67. There are bars on the windows. There is, like, people roaming the streets all over, and it was, like, 11 o'clock when we rolled in. And I drove through, and I'm like, oh, This is where we're going to leave our baby girl by herself when we live in Illinois. Law was at Purdue at that point. He had gone to school there. I was sick to my stomach, and I'm like, and she's like crying, Mama, you hate it. You hate it. You're never going to let me go here, but I want to go here. And I'm like, if God wants you to go here, I'm sure he will clarify all of this for both of us. (laughs) 
let's go find a hotel and get some sleep because I'm not encouraged right now. And she was bawling. You hate it. And I'm like, I just, this is scary. This doesn't look like the place I think we're going to let you go to college so many miles away. So anyway, the next day we got up. There was a worship conference that went on and Carrie Job was speaking and leading some of that, which was really cool. Um, and the worship was really great and helpful to both of us. And we were just seeking the Lord, like, what do you want? And then Tom couldn't come. So he wasn't even there. I'm calling him. I'm like, oh, I don't think you're going to be happy about this, you know? But um, during the worship, I was just really worship. I was really wrestling with God. I knew, I knew that there was a call on Savannah's life. She loved mission work. She loved music. She loved leading it. I knew the call in her life included these things. And I knew it didn't include art school or any of these other things. And I'm like, are you serious, Lord? Really? Like, what, what about this? And I just sensed in that moment him just challenging me and saying, you know, Meg, do you want her safe in Dallas with me under my care here? Or do you want her safe back in Illinois with you? As if that was a choice. That's kind of the choice I felt like he was showing me. And I'm like, okay, yeah, you, <laughs> you, you could probably do a better job keeping her safe at this stage of life. She's 18 than I can. And so we prayed, we talked, talked with Tom, we wrestled through it all, and we ended up saying, yes, you can come. And that's how, actually, she got to Dallas, and then she transferred to Dallas Baptist University. Her brother came here, and then ultimately we moved here. And that's kind of how the Lord opened all those doors through her. And it's really important because that helped me, specifically, when six months into that, Tom got the call from her, crying. She was okay, but she'd been held up at gunpoint at the subway across from there. And that fear that struck, and we were so far away and couldn't do anything, she was fine. But I know that I know that I know, I, I know that the Lord called her here. And I knew that meant that whether he took her home from a gunshot in Dallas or he got her through it, he, it was his sovereign decision. I know that moment he asked me to release her. And so that's the question. We all, that's, that's an extreme. But you have to get to the point where you are willing to surrender and entrust everything to the Lord and trust him. We get so afraid that if a child dies or if something goes horribly wrong, nothing that we want, that he's not trustworthy and that's not true. And so I guess just as we close, I just want us to think of all of the sovereignty of God, the ways that he is um, so good and so um, wise and helpful. We have access to it, but it doesn't mean it's a straight line to everything we want Everything that we think is best, we have got to trust him because it's a faith journey and we don't want to live or parent out of fear. So let me pray for us. Father, I thank you just for your faithfulness in my life, Lord, even in just preparing this message, being overwhelmed by your goodness to us. There's so many things that by faith and through your wisdom we did well and there's so many things we just totally messed up, missed it and did not do well at all and that you were faithful through it all. God, will you help each woman here reflect on your truth, your ways, your heart for them, for their families, for their children? Will you guide them and will you challenge them to trust you more and more by the way they think wisely, they juggle wisely, and they speak wisely? We love you and just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I mean, you're welcome. Um, okay, so Meg and I, we were talking about like how to end this, but we want to do kind of a Q&A. So if you guys have like specific questions that you would like to ask, I mean, there's so much great stuff on here. So just about wise thinking, wise juggling. If you have any questions for her specifically, like what did that look like and how, how did you really go through that? Leslie would be happy to answer that. Mm. <laughs> In it right now. Anyway, any, anybody?
Just raise your hand. Molly, yes. I got her. <laughs> so I am curious to know what it looked like when your daughter had that meltdown on the stairs yeah. and you said you, you got it. Yeah. So can you explain what happened after you got it? How yeah. did you respond to her? Yeah. You know, I think there was a heart change for me. It was a perspective change. I thought the goal was hurrying up and getting the tasks done. And in that moment, the Lord showed me, showed me that was not the goal. The goal was to love her and to invite her into the solution of the family in a way that would help her where she is in her development. I stopped rushing her so much. I mean, literally, it was, it was, just, it was just a different way of thinking and realizing um, she's wired different. Blessing, you know, rushing doesn't bless her. So if there's times where I was in a hurry, because the truth was that morning, we didn't have a schedule to keep. We really didn't. You know, and so there would be things like, Lauren always loved to come with me and he was like fast, fast, fast. If there were times where that was required, usually Savannah would stay with Tom and I would take him or we'd split or divide and conquer. Or I would get us up an hour earlier and I would not say the words. I tried so hard not to say, hurry up. That was like part of my vocabulary. So I just changed how I, how I did that. And like another situation, one time we were on a bike ride. We like to do bike rides with the kids and we would take turns leading. And one time we let Savannah lead and she was, I don't know, seven or something. And she's pedaling and we realized, oh, it applies here too because she's looking at the flowers. <laughs> and we're like, you know, and one time she slammed on the brakes and we're flying in all directions and she jumps off and she picks this flower and she's like, mommy, mommy, here's a flower for you. And we... You know, and so we just had to allow for that. So before the bike ride, we had to talk with Lauren a lot. And I had to remind us, hey, we're going slow today because Savannah's leading and that's good because we're going to look at things and we're, you know. So it changed the parenting. It changed the parenting. I think another thing to add in on that is... Um, like yesterday, I took my four-year-old, who's the youngest of four for us, and it was going to be my time while she's at preschool. And I love, I'm like, okay, we're getting there. We're getting out the door. And she had to take hot sauce for a teacher luncheon. And she goes, I want to carry it. I want to carry it. She said it all morning. I get all my backpacks. I had like some errands, some things to do, some people to meet. So I got my stuff. And I expected my four-year-old to remember the hot sauce. <laughs> and um, we get all the way to her little preschool and... She goes, I forgot the hot sauce. And y'all, I mean, those examples. Yeah. What? But you, s and then I'm like, you know what, Becca? Like, I literally in the morning had to be like, okay, Lord, <laughs> she's four. I say to myself, I like self-talk, she's four. Yeah. You act like yeah. she's a peer sometimes, you know, yeah. and just be like, you know what? Yeah. Who forgets all the time in this house? And yeah. she's like, you do? Yeah, because yeah. we're always turning around to go get my cell phone or something. Yes. yes. And so I really think it's what Meg says about the abiding. Like, mm -hmm. I have to know, like, that's a hot spot for me. Like, I want to get to drop her off where I can have three minutes to be by myself, you know, and just being patient. And that just, well, it's like well, the salve over a wound, like yeah. something sweet over a, yeah. a wound that I've hurt her before with. Yeah. Yeah, another way that played out too, like I'm thinking with my son when he was young, just trying, just constantly asking the Lord, like they were so different and you could just look cross-eyed at Savannah and she was like, I'm sorry. And Lauren, you were like, you would wrestle it out and like is, you know, and so what we realized at some point, 
because I kept, I kept reading books, I kept talking to people, and for him, he needed space and time to wrestle something out and to think about it before he was ready to apologize. And we just had to give him that space. And so like once he was seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, we, we were in rural Illinois, we had horses. And so there was a punishment scheme that was discipline. It was a discipline scheme that, you know, hey, if you've got a bad attitude in the house, um, then you need to work that bad attitude out. I need you to go muck the stalls. I need you to go work. And what we found is if he would work with his hands and work through it, he always came back with tears. I am so sorry, mom. Will you forgive me that? Like it was usually his words. He would, he was just bumping up against us, but work, let him you know, do that. I only figured that out as I begged the Lord for wisdom to see and to talk and to pray. And, you know, that was helpful. Any other questions? Don't be so, yes. I got this one, Elizabeth. <laughs> Good job, you're first. Um, so how did you develop your um, kids' relationships with each other? We had some questions about that. Yeah, that's hard. I think the most important thing, I think what we did wrong for too long is we tried to solve their problems for them. We tried to get in the middle. And, and so I think for too long, they actually looked at us to solve their problems, which did not draw them together. And when we figured out, oh, wait a minute, they have to now apply all of these relational problem-solving, ask-for-forgiveness things. Um, we would just come alongside of them and try to talk with them about what they saw, what happened, and ask more questions than tell them what to do. And so that helped. There were only two of them. They were close in age. Um, and so really what happened is when they were younger, they were tight as buddies, but in the middle, like seven to 13, Savannah ran away because she always got hurt when she played with him and just didn't want anything to do with him because he was rough and tumble and she was getting bonked and she didn't like that. But then when the driver's license came around, he was her best friend <laughs> because they were back together. Um, so we talked kindly about each child behind their back. You know, we would always say kind things about them. We'd say there's plenty of room in this family for more love. You can both take guitar lessons. You can both do this or, you, you know, whatever. We just spoke and built each other up and then tried to get out of the middle of it when we could because we did too long what you have to do when they're little. You manage it more, and we held that too long, and I think that didn't help those middle years when they didn't like each other. <laughs> And even one of the phrases that we use at our house is we fight for each other, not with each other. And this is where even getting creative in some of your discipline techniques can help. I mean, just this week, my older one is having to do the younger one's chores every day. And one of those things is getting the napkins and the forks out at dinner. And so it's been sweet to see the older one, the younger one walk alongside him, like, here's how I do it. Here's the napkins. Here's the forks. Because I mean, we're days past the initial issue now. And so they're working together to be able to do that. Ooh, that's good. That's good. We should have done that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anybody else? All right. We do have a couple questions. I think we'll pop those up real quick. Um, just to close it out. You guys, we have like 10 minutes. Elizabeth will come and close us out in about five minutes. But thank you so much, Meg. We're so grateful. Thanks. Um, for your for your wisdom and your life yeah. and your leadership. Thank so anyway, you guys, you guys, you guys can talk for a few minutes, but keep your eye on the clock. <laughs>